Hello and welcome to the Wellcore Supply CAODC podcast for October 2019. I'm John Baco. Well, it's mid-October, and as we record this episode, we're on the verge of an extremely important federal election for Canadians. Here at CAODC, we've been busy reviewing the energy policies of each major, major party and sharing that information with our members and the public at large. As of today, the polling remains extremely close, with the Liberals and Conservatives in a dead heat, one or two percentage points apart, and all kinds of talk about a coalition government. Whatever you do, no matter what party you support, we strongly encourage you to get out and vote if you haven't taken advantage of the advanced polls already. We know for our industry, the election results are going to be extremely important with respect to crucial infrastructure projects and policy that supports one of Canada's most important industries. You've heard it from us before, but we'll say it again. Our industry, when healthy, supports nearly 500,000 well-paying jobs across this country. The wealth generated from this industry is the bedrock for the things Canadians are most proud of, like universal health care programs and publicly funded education. Another important fact that perhaps gets overlooked is that the oil and gas industry at one point made up 20% of the Toronto Stock Exchange. These exploration companies, oil sands companies, pipeline companies, and even drilling and well servicing companies in better days are all held by major funds like the Canada Pension Plan and many provincial teachers' pension plans. So if you're not directly employed in oil and gas, you still benefit from the industry in multiple ways. This industry is important to Canadians, and that's why as voters, we should take the time to understand what each federal party's plan is for the future of oil and gas in Canada. CAODC President and CEO Mark Schultz just dropped some stats off on my desk last week from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. And they are predicting the world's energy consumption will grow 50% by 2050, and the mix at that time, and this is considering growth in renewable energy, will still be 49% oil and gas. And they're saying natural gas consumption during that time will grow by 40%. We are truly living in strange times right now. Global energy demand continues to grow and Canada has the ability to deliver responsible, ethical products that will reduce global GHGs. Yet we still seem to be under the radical environmentalist microscope as one of the world's pollution problems. It just seems odd that one of the biggest advocates of the current climate emergency story, Greta Thunberg, is in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, three days before a federal election. If this is such an emergency, why spend any time in a province with four and a half million people that has had a voluntary price on carbon for heavy emitters since 2007? Why spend any time in a country that contributes less than 2% to global GHGs, has 82% of its electricity generated from hydro, and produces only 5% of the world's oil. The conversation has to change, and that starts with leadership. So let's all get out and vote, and regardless of the outcome, let's continue to share the facts and stand up for our industry. Speaking of standing up for our industry, our title sponsor, Weldcore Supply, 
is a proud supporter of Canadian oil and gas. Wellcore is proud to support those who are working hard to keep our country running. Proud to be a Canadian-owned welding filler metal supply company in a country that has the highest environmental and human rights standards in the world. Wellcore supports ethical oil. Wellcore supports the Canadian oil and gas sector. The world needs ethical oil. The world needs Canadian oil. Let Wellcore Supplies help you make that happen. All right. We've got another great guest for you today on the Weldcore Supply CAODC podcast. Mr. Dan Halleck, President and CEO of Total Energy Services, is joining us. Before we get to Mr. Halleck, however, let's take a look at the industry update brought to you by Jody Conrad and the crew at Crux Analytics. The Crux Industry Dataset provides you with the most accurate and up-to-date drilling information in Western Canada. For more information or to subscribe today, Check out cruxanalytics.com. In September of this year, our drilling utilization rate was floating around 28%, which is about 154 active rigs out of a registered fleet of 548. Drilling operating days in September 2019 were 3,610, down from 5,065 in 2018, or a decline of 29% year over year. Of those operating days, uh, 1,547 were in Saskatchewan, and 2,063 were in Alberta. On the service side, as of yesterday, we had 89,185 hours reported in September, down 2,635 from 2018 numbers, or a decline of just under 3% year over year. Approximately 73% of those hours were reported in Alberta, and the rest were spread out across the country. We actually had hours reported in Quebec and the Northwest Territories this month, uh, which is uh, terrific. The Montney continues to remain the most active basin, with the back end deep basin and the cardium coming in second, third, and fourth, respectively. Uh, the busiest operators are Crescent Point, Whitecap, Baytex, and Tourmaline. We have scheduled our annual forecasting committee meeting for October 28th. That's where uh, CAODC members get together, uh, put on their thinking caps, and uh, try to provide a bit of an outlook for the upcoming year. And we have also just confirmed that Alberta Premier Jason Kenney will be the keynote speaker at our State of the Industry Luncheon on November 13 at the West End Calgary. This event is where we release our 2020 forecast and have a panel of experts on hand to discuss what they see happening in the upcoming drilling season. Tickets will be on sale soon, and we have sponsorship opportunities available, so please watch our website for more information. And there is your monthly analytics summary, brought to you by Crux Analytics. The Crux Industry data set provides you with the most accurate and up-to-date drilling information in Western Canada. For more information or to subscribe today, check out cruxanalytics.com. Okay, on to our special guest. Mr. Dan Halleck is the founder and president, or is the founder and president and CEO of Total Energy Services, a diversified energy services company based here in Calgary that operates around the globe. Total has four business lines, contract drilling, contract well servicing, rentals and transportation services, and the fabrication, sale, rental, and service of new and used equipment 
for both oil and gas processing and gas compression. A former corporate securities lawyer, Mr. Halleck is also a principal of Trident Capital Partners and received his Bachelor of Commerce and Bachelor of Laws from the University of Saskatchewan. Good morning, Dan, and welcome to the WealthCore Supply CAODC podcast. Good morning, John, and thanks for having me. So are you originally from Saskatchewan then? I am, yes. Born and raised and came out in 1993 to Calgary. Okay, so the question Albertans always want to know is, what's your hockey team then? My hockey team is the Calgary Flames, used to be the Montreal Canadiens. Okay. That was back when black and white TV, but uh, been here long enough, the Flames is my team. Fair enough. Well... And the Riders is my football well, team, in case you were wondering. Sure, there's never any question of that when you're from Saskatchewan, and we know that. All right, so I read that you started Total in 1996. Uh, was that when you got your start in oil and gas, or was it earlier? Um, so when I came to Calgary in 1993, it was to practice law, and that uh, was my first exposure to the industry, kind of in a direct uh, yeah, support function, but uh, starting total uh, in '96 was my first direct employment within the uh, within the uh, oil and gas industry. Okay, and what about the sector sort of piqued your interest? Well, coming uh, out to Calgary from rural Saskatchewan, I had zero involvement or exposure to the oil and gas industry. I was from a small farming community. And uh, obviously in, in Calgary practicing law, a, lar a large part of my practice was uh, related to energy, energy services. And uh, I just met a lot of interesting people and enjoyed the vibrancy, the entrepreneurial nature of the industry and um, ended up uh, wanting to uh, get involved uh, more directly in, in, uh, in the industry as a, as a business person. Nice. So you've seen this industry uh, in, in, its up, in its natural ups and downs. We know it's a commodity-based industry. It, uh, it goes up and down all the time. Um, and I think that as entrepreneurs uh, in oil and gas, people are, they know that. They still want to be involved in it because the good times are good and it's important uh, to our country and it's, uh, it's a good way to make a living. But we were talking earlier, I mean, this, this time around, uh, things are a little different. From your perspective, when did things really start to get rough for this last uh, downturn? Well, certainly uh, the current downturn that we're still in uh, began in late 2014. You know, at that time, I like I think most believed it was just another downturn that uh, you know low commodity prices, normal economics. Um, however, as oil prices recovered and industry activity increased around uh, the world, you know, in such places as the United States. It became increasingly apparent to me and, and most others that there were unique, uh, more, more uh, nefarious factors that were neg negatively impacting the Canadian energy industry and that a, recover a recovery in Canada would be driven, unfortunately, more by politics than economics. Yeah. And I've read, I've just read through another batch of uh, poor activity numbers. Um, you know, we, we saw a slight uptick at 17, but we seem to be trending in the wrong direction again. Um, can you describe for our listeners who don't know, what are things like in the service sector right now? Well, it depends where you are. I was uh, down in the U.S. two weeks ago visiting our operations in uh, 
Wyoming and, and uh, West Texas, and uh, it's a completely different world down there. You know, I was in Australia um, several months ago, again, a completely different world. It's busy, active, um, you know, your problems are people and uh, the challenges with a very, very busy industry. You know, in Canada, unfortunately, for five years, it's been the exact opposite. It's been um, rationalization, downsizing, relocating assets, um, shuttering capacity and um, generally uh, shrinking, not growing. And so, um, you know, one of the metrics that just really clearly illustrates this from Total's perspective is in uh, 2015, 3.4% of our consolidated revenue came from outside of Canada. For the first six months of 2019, 66% of our revenue came from outside of Canada. You know, it's astonishing, really, when you when you look at those numbers. That's a huge shift. So, in terms of work, investment, it's not happening in Canada. For the work that is going on, what's the workforce landscape like? Well, you know, the, the challenge with Canada, as you know, John, in Canada, you know, not too many years ago, we had over 900 rigs in the Canadian drilling fleet. And the drilling fleet and the collateral support industry was built to support six to 700 rigs drilling in the wintertime. Now, there's other reasons than just politics why the rig count's gone down, you know, shallow gas and things like that. But the reality is the Canadian service industry was built to service north of 600 drilling rigs in the winter. You know, last winter we didn't crack 300. It's a huge problem. And so what you're seeing is a, um, a massive rationalization of an industry that was built for more than close to four times what the current activity levels are. And you can see it's it's been a massive challenge, uh, um, you know, both from a um, uh, human uh, perspective and a uh, capital perspective. You know, and the impact is not just the workers that don't go back to the rigs or, you know, the service rig guys or the truck drivers. You know, the impact goes well beyond that to the local hotels, restaurants, car dealerships, insurance, um, brokers, you know, you name it. And uh, again, um, you know, the anemic level of activity that we're seeing right now has not only cost over 100,000 direct energy jobs, but um, you look at tax revenues are down in this country. It's clearly a direct function of, of lower oil and gas activity. And just uh, yesterday, I was up in central Alberta visiting some of our operations and driving through small towns like Lacombe and Leduc, Niskew, it's, uh, it's brutal. You know, the empty shops, the vacant retail space, the highways that, you know, again, West Texas two weeks ago, it's like a Mario Kart driving on the highway. It's so busy and, uh, you know, you come to central Alberta during what should be a, a significant ramp up and the, the highways are empty of uh, industry traffic. It's, it's sad. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of people um, talk about trickle-down economics as, as though they don't exist. And when you tell stories like that and you see it, I mean, you go to these communities and you see it, I just don't, I don't understand how economics professors in, in universities in Canada can 
can say that that type of trickle down effect isn't isn't doesn't happen. Uh, but I'm hearing more and more from from especially younger people that uh, they don't believe that that it's true. Uh, it's it it's crazy. Um, so what about access to capital and credit? Well, certainly, uh, I would say the um, cost of capital right now for Canadian energy companies, producers, service companies is extremely high. And frankly, most uh, there's many companies have, I would say, no access to new capital. And, uh, you know, thankfully, that's not been an issue for total, you know, in part given our geographic diversification. Again, uh, the majority of our revenues come from outside of this country now. But also, uh, you know, over the years, we've been a fairly, um, I would say, prudent, uh, balanced um, company where, you know, we've saved money in the good times. So our balance sheet coming into this downturn was very strong. Uh, we've been operating within cash flow for many years. You know, the last time we did a public equity offering, I believe, was 2005. You know, so we generally use our cash flow. And so, um, um, you know, we have the capital that we need and, and want to continue to operate the business. We've also, um, you know, have a credit facility that gives us additional liquidity if we need that. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, within uh, Canada, we've been uh, um, working within cash flow and, and less, which again is a function of the fact that our customers have been working within cash flow and less for uh, several years now. So how does that impact technological development? How does that, how does that impact um, knowledge management or, or uh, I guess keeping knowledge in the industry? Well, you raise a good question, John, and, and you know, there's several aspects to the answer to that question. You know, again, you know, up in Leduc Niscu yesterday, that was a world-class center of technology and innovation. And the amount of technology and innovation that came out of that hub for the energy business around the world is it's legendary. But again, you look at the shops that are shut down, not operating or operating minimally, um, that's a huge problem on the development of new technologies and, and innovation, which frankly, Canada's been a world leader at. And the problem is when you're not building anything here, you go where you are building stuff. And it's very similar to the workers that we have that are experienced, underutilized, underemployed here. You know, we've made a concerted effort to relocate senior people that have been with our company for many, many years um, to West Texas, to Casper, Wyoming, to Toowoomba, Australia largely because we want to preserve and protect that knowledge. Um, but I can tell you, once you relocate a family to Toowoomba, a good chance they're not going to come back. And so that's one of the, I would say, medium to long-term consequences of this, I would call deliberate destruction of the Canadian energy industry that is going to haunt us for many, many years to come. Um, we're losing our... Um, critical mass, our cluster of innovation and technology that took decades to build up and has been a world-class leader in providing efficient, safe, environmentally friendly technologies for oil and gas companies around the world. And, and that's the real disgrace of what's happening right now. We talk a lot about how what Canada's reputation is 
on the global stage. You travel the world in those circles. Can you comment on, on how we are regarded? Well, I, I would say right now um, there's a deep amount of, um, I think the surprise of where we're at is over. I think there was a lot of surprise initially at the anti-energy position of different levels of government in this, this country because we were seen as a stable, um, good place to do business. And so I think once the initial shock wore off, um, the perspective now is that, you know, capital and, and um, investment goes where they're welcome. And I, you increasingly see less discussion about Canada. Um, and it's not just within the energy business, it's in other areas as well. Uh, natural resource development, we're seen as not a stable, predictable regime. And, um, you know, that's going to impact uh, many different industries, including support industries like the banks, insurance companies, you know, as head offices leave and, and um, operations relocate, uh, there's a lot of professional technical support services, you know, IT, all of that, that leaves with that. And so, um, you know, frankly, we've got a lot of work to do to improve our investment uh, uh, reputation around the world. It's not good right now. In terms of our operations, though, different story. I mean, people are seeking Canadian talent. They're seeking Canadian technology. At least they were. Well, I can tell you that's still the case. Canada is second to no country when it comes to energy service uh, reputation and, and the quality of our people and equipment. And I know, for example, you know, we relocated a rig from Canada down to West Texas a couple of years ago, brought with it Canadian crews. It was impossible to find local crews. The operator that took that rig uh, has other rigs now with us, and one of the conditions was that we bring Canadian crews with, with uh, to to utilize on those rigs because of the quality. And literally, um, uh, two of those rigs are are heavy doubles that have displaced triples in West Texas that are beating the triples in terms of performance and and uh, certainly on the cost side. And I can tell you, a lot of that is the crews, and, and most of those crews are Canadian. Well, that's good news. So, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, we're extremely proud of, of our people, and, and uh, Canada's second to nowhere on, on the quality of our people in terms of their experience, technical training, and, uh, and their efficiency, and, and willing to work hard. Can you give our listeners some insight into Australia? What's the uh, oil and gas climate like there? Uh, how are Canadian rigs and, and crews received there? Um, so Australia is in many ways a lot like Canada. It's obviously a British uh, um, monarchy and, um, and um, you know, that said it's an island and islands have advantages mostly when you're close to one of the world's largest importers of LNG. Uh, certainly China, Southeast Asia. And so what we've seen in, in Australia has been a good steady market. It's a very high cost market. It's a highly regulated, but the reality is there's not a lot of competition, um, you know, for their gas there. Hopefully that changes a little bit for Canada's sake, but um, you've got a very uh, highly regulated, high cost structure. Flip side is a massive resource. Uh, 
that Australians have supported generally expanding. And so it's been a very good market for us, both within our drilling well servicing and uh, our gas compression business. Again, a prime example where Canadians are very well received because of the quality of our expertise, our equipment and, and our know-how. And so, um, you know, we'd be one of the larger players in the Australian marketplace. And, uh, you know, we employ um, close to 500 people there. We've been encouraging our members and Canadians on social media to share their vision for the Canadian oil and gas sector. When you began your career, did you have a vision for building the company the way Total is currently structured, or did your vision evolve along the way? Well, a bit of both, John. I would say our core principles have not changed over the years, but our strategy and tactics have definitely evolved and adapted with, with changing industry conditions and, and business environment. So do you have a philosophy or a few cardinal rules that kind of underlie your approach to building a business's structure? Definitely. Uh, Total's original corporate motto that still stands today uh, is pretty simple. It's focus, discipline, and growth. You know, we focus on what we're good at. We invest, invest our capital and operate our business with discipline and for the long run. And uh, we try and provide an opportunity for Total and its employees to grow even during difficult times. And I, I was reading in the Business of Calgary article that your subsidiaries manage themselves for the most part and are evaluated independently. Why, why do you, uh, I guess, have that or, or why do you feel that's important, uh, an underlying concept for you? Well, I think it's part of our grow, the grow part of our motto. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you hire people to do a job and, and I'm a big believer in decentralized local management, you know, to try and manage an operation and Fort Nelson, BC, or um, Midland, uh, Texas from Calgary is a pretty tough thing to do. And uh, I also find that, um, you know, people uh, generally rise up to the challenge when you give them clear direction, clear expectations, and um, hold them accountable. And um, we hire people to run businesses and be accountable for how they perform and, uh, you know, Again, philosophically, I'm quite against a central planning department uh, trying to interfere and dictate on uh, how people are going to conduct their day-to-day -day business. Again, um, you know, it's hard to make someone accountable um, that you hire to be accountable when you override or dictate how they're going to do their job. And so again, my job is to bring to the table consensus on the big picture. Where's this organization going? What's our strategy? Put a box around what we're going to do. And then I let our people and I expect them to let their people execute that strategy on a day-to-day -day basis in a manner that's consistent with where we want to bring, bring the company. And, and for the most part, eight out of 10 times, people prove you're right. And two out of 10 times, you got to make a change. Well, I know that's how I would want to be, you know, when I do my job and when I work my way up through some pretty elementary uh, positions in life, um, I respected uh, managers that gave you rope and, and let you do your thing and, and let you grow. I think that's excellent. And it's, you know, I'm asking these questions, it's probably pretty clear why. Um, it seems that there's a lot of analogies that can be drawn between business and government. 
what are your thoughts on that? And, and then I guess afterwards, the follow-up will be, what's your vision for Canadian oil and gas? But Well, first of all, I think business and government are both organizations that have object- objectives they're trying to achieve. And so there's a very uh, great amount of um, similarities and analogies between government and business. Both rely on people to achieve, well, define and achieve those objectives. And culture is paramount in any organization, whether it's government, public, private, for-profit, not-for-profit. You know, often private enterprises become susceptible to the criticisms one often hears leveled at government, you know, such as excessive bureaucracy, unwillingness to accept risk, and frankly, consequently, organizational inefficiency and paralysis. Organizational culture is the key to success or failure. And uh, this includes having a clear and consistent understanding throughout the organization of core objectives, having one set of rules, and putting in place strong leadership and appropriate incentives that reinforce the culture, incentivize the achievement of, of objectives, and discourages impediments to the achievement of those objectives. And frankly, in government, um, a lot of those core foundational elements are missing, particularly on the energy file, starting with having a clear, consistent understanding of what our objective is in Canada towards energy. Yeah. Those are great points. Um, To wrap it up, do you want to give us, I mean, we've got our State of the Industry uh, luncheon. It formerly was a breakfast. This year we're doing a luncheon, middle of November. Uh, as mentioned, and uh, November 13 at the Weston. Uh, if you haven't got, or our tickets will go on sale, so make sure uh, if you're listening, you check out our website for more information. Um, can you give us your thoughts on 2020, what you see? I, I mean, I guess lots pinning on what happens on Monday, but um, either way, do you, can you give us a... Well, I think, um, John, this election is a very important election for a number of reasons. Um, including the future of oil and gas in in this country. And Canadians have to decide whether we're going to take advantage of the massive resource that we've been blessed with or whether we're going to sell it at a discount and let others fill the void that will be created by declining Canadian uh, energy production and involvement. And um, to me, it's a pretty simple, clear Um, answer to that. We should be absolutely taking advantage of a massive resource that we have. We should be getting the best price and we should be uh, securing all of the benefits that accrue from that uh, to Canada. And um, again, um, I think we need a government at every level that has a clear vision of what we're trying to do. My vision for energy is to First of all, appreciate and be thankful for the massive resource that we have. To see that resource responsibly developed for the benefit of all Canadians and for Canada to be the global leader in energy development and technology. You know, at the present time, this means leading in the development and use of hydrocarbon resources, which we have been abundantly blessed with. This also means being at the forefront of free market development of new energy sources that will eventually be required to replace non-renewable forms of energy. 
That's no question. It's timing and it's how you do it. Do you let government bureaucracy dictate or do you let the free market dictate? And frankly, I'll pick the free market any day. At its core, my vision would see all humans have safe, reliable, clean and affordable energy to ensure that everyone can enjoy the quality of life that frankly we often take for granted in this country. With abundant and affordable energy comes human prosperity and with human prosperity comes environmental stewardship. Just look at places that don't have abundant and cheap energy. Are they environmental leaders? To the contrary. And so Canada has the people and resources to achieve this vision. I think the biggest obstacle to achieving this vision is the lack of political leadership to define the core objective in a unifying manner and such that would create a political and regulatory environment conducive to fully unleashing the entrepreneurial spirit that has defined our country and our en energy industry for much of its history. And so I hope Canadians vote wisely, and I hope that we get this country back to work and, and back in a position that we were as a leader in, in energy development. Very well said, very well said. Um, thank you very much. Our guest has been Dan Hallett, President and CEO of Total Energy Services. We really appreciate your comments, especially right now. Um, as we mentioned, we encourage everyone to get out and vote on Monday and um, after that we encourage you to continue to stand up and fight for the oil and gas sector. That has been another edition of the Weldcore Supply CAODC podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in once again. We will be back in November. It's already November. It's incredible. We'll be back in November with another great guest. Thank you very much for listening. And have a great day.